Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Anna Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Ohio Politics Explained post-election edition. This week, we're talking about elections large and small in the Buckeye State and those new animal shapes that we see in Ohio's proposed congressional maps. Uh, To help me out, we have reporter Jessie Balmer with the USA Today Bureau. Um, She's been doing the Lord's work here by attending each and every redistricting meeting. And she's also secretly the journalist I hope to be when I grow up. Welcome to the show, Jessie. Hey, thanks for having me. That was such a lovely introduction. And, you know, redistricting meetings are fun, whether you're observing them through the Ohio Channel or they're in person. And Yeah, and long. They can be long. Yeah, I think it's one of those things people really want to engage in this process, particularly after the 2015 and 2018 ballot initiatives. So it's good that the public is getting involved, but that can lead to some long meetings. So then let's dive into redistricting. Um, You know, we have two different maps for our federal congressional delegation. The Senate Republicans made one and the House Republicans made one. So uh, what is the what's the difference between the two or how are they the same? Yeah. So on Wednesday, the House Republicans went first and they had a map that would give Democrats two safe districts and the they would get about nine safe districts for Republicans. And then there are four districts that are in that 45 to 55 percent margin, which is considered competitive. Uh, There's really one district that would be extremely competitive, which would be in Cincinnati, And it would go from the city of Cincinnati. And as one political scientist explained it, like an E.T. finger into Warren (laughs) County, which is a much more Republican area. And then after that, the Senate Republicans introduced their map in a different committee. And their map is a little bit more competitive. You have about seven of those districts in that 45 to 55 percent range, but still only gives Democrats two safe seats. Both of these seats are going to be in Columbus and Cleveland and not really an option for a pickup for Democrats in Cincinnati. So we could be looking at a 13-2 map. That would be the worst case scenario for Democrats, Mm -hmm. I would think. The current map is 12-4, so Republicans have 12 seats and Democrats have four. And we are losing a congressional district because Ohio's population is growing at a slower rate than the nation's. And we've lost districts in recent The last one, too. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of used to this trend. And it it almost works like musical chairs. And someone is left without a chair when you're done. Yeah. And so it looks like Marcy Kaptur is left without a chair in both versions of the map. So... I think a lot of people are familiar with what's called the Snake on the Lake District, which currently stretches, and that's uh, Representative Marcy Captor's district. It stretches from Toledo all the way to Cleveland. Now, this has been pointed out as a gerrymandered district. For years. For years. I think everyone knew that this was going away, but in both maps, it goes away to her disadvantage. 
Yeah. And speaking of weird disadvantages, so Joyce Beatty, the representative for the Columbus area, actually isn't in the Columbus district anymore, or it kind of looks like she's not. Yeah. So in both the House and the Senate maps, she would be drawn into a district that is would favor Republicans. So in the House one, it would be with the new Representative Mike Carey, who was just elected on Tuesday, and in the Senate map, uh, could be drawn into Representative Jim Jordan's district. And also that district would include things, places like Linden and Clintonville, uh, some really Democratic parts of Columbus that would be part of a pretty Republican district yeah. under that plan. I think Clintonville would be pretty surprised to find Jim Jordan as their representative. I think they would have some thoughts about it. <laughs> Strong feelings. Uh, yeah, it's a strange uh, set of maps. Um, but the thing we should uh, keep in mind is that it theoretically, if no Democrat votes for these maps, and I don't get in the impression that like Democrats are super happy with either version, then it's only a four-year map. Yeah, so the way this works in November, and there was a process for September September and October, we, but we kind of— We kind of skipped October. We Yeah, we blew past those deadlines. <laughs> so here we are in November, and for the map to last 10 years, it needs 60% of votes in both chambers and then 33% of the Democrats in those chambers, which in the Ohio Senate is about three people. It's more people in the Ohio House of Representatives. So Still I, not going to happen. Yeah. So neither of these maps would probably get Democratic approval. And if they don't, then the map would last for four years um, with just a simple majority approval from the Republicans who control both the House and the Senate. Now, if that happened, they would have to kind of explain themselves. They would have to say why these maps didn't unduly favor one party or the other. And so that'll be interesting. It is worth noting that these are kind of opening offers from the Republicans. We are going to be having testimony this week and I presume in the next few weeks about what changes could be made to these maps. Yeah. And when I was just looking at them, it's like, you know, we always kind of play games trying to think about what they look like. I think there is a snake in the map now. It just kind of goes down like the Ohio River on the side, right? Like in that one version, I think that's the Senate version. There's like a snake on the edge of Ohio. But in the House version, it kind of looks like a tree monkey, like clinging to the side of the state. I don't know. It's, it's kind of like clouds. You can like decide what they look like for yourselves. <laughs> Um, I did want to point out Senate Democrats did propose their own version of the map, and that would give them either an 8-7, it would give Republicans either an 8-7 or a 9-6 map. Uh, some of the criticism of the Senate Democrats map is that the districts weren't um, a similar enough population, and mm. there are some rulings that you have to keep the populations for the congressional districts pretty close. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So um, on to our second topic, which kind of dovetails, you know, they say the consequence of redistricting is that elections have consequences. And speaking of elections, we actually had two federal lawmakers that we chose on Tuesday, but there really weren't any surprises. 
Yeah, I think we had both the 15th congressional district that our colleague Haley B. Miller has done a great job covering. Mike Carey was the Republican candidate there, and he easily defeated Allison Russo, the Democratic candidate. Allison Russo got a decent, she she actually won the Franklin County portion of yeah. that 15th congressional district. But the way that that is drawn, there's so many GOP areas of that district that it's just very hard for Democrats to overcome that. Um, alternatively, Chantel Brown up in the 11th district in the Cleveland area, you know, got close to 80 percent of that vote. And yeah. so the Republican there really didn't have a shot either. No, that's a very Democratic district. Yeah. Kerry, uh, Mike Kerry, the uh, candidate who won down here in the 15th, had an interesting take telling his supporters that his victory sent a clear message to Nancy Pelosi. I'm not really clear on what that message was, given that he's a Republican who won a Republican district. Uh, I think if you're looking for a message Nancy Pelosi heard on Tuesday night, you kind of got to look outside of Ohio. You got to go over to the Virginia governor's race where, um, you know, Democrats have won every statewide race in Virginia since like 2009 and Biden won by double digits. But the Republican newcomer, He's the new governor of Virginia. And I think, you know, if you're looking for um, what's it called, if you're reading the tea leaves on Wednesday and trying to see which way the political winds are blowing, um, I think that's a much better indicator than Mike Carey's victory. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, In politics, frequently the president's party does very poorly two years after he is elected. And so I think you could see that happened in 2022. The Republicans are very close to taking control of the U.S. House of Representatives and a combination of just that natural swing away from the party of the president. And also Republicans are going to have the ability to draw the maps in more states across the nation. It just seems like a good opportunity for Republicans going forward. I think you can look at Virginia and see see Youngkin's victory there and, and see some winds of change for the GOP. Yeah. And so our third and final topic uh, zooms in really micro on like the localist of local races here in Ohio, the school boards, uh, which I have been following because it turns out they had a lot of national issues. Um, These races became about things like mask mandates and vaccine requirements and the COVID-19 pandemic and how we teach about history. That's specifically the fight over whether critical race theory is a thing that's being taught in Ohio schools. And so these races were, you know, super interesting. We saw some of these more conservative candidates pick up seats. Um, they flipped some boards down in southwest Ohio. They picked up a few seats here and there. But overall, um, the school board races, most of the boards themselves didn't flip control. So folks like Stephen Dyer over at the Ohio Education Association is calling it like a big win for pro-education candidates. Uh, you can take with that what you will. But, I mean, it was, I mean, were you... Watching some of this stuff in Worthington, there were billboards and dark money groups and statewide endorsements. I'm like, what is happening? The school board races were fascinating this year just because that dark money, that large, well-funded campaigns, that's something that you expect at the federal level. You're seeing it more at the state level, but at the local school board level. And you really have to attribute it to what we've gone through the past couple of years because school boards were forced to make a lot of decisions about children's health and whether they should be vaccinated or whether they should have to wear masks or whether staff should be vaccinated. And a lot of these decisions that weren't necessarily made at the state level at certain points of the pandemic were shifted down to these local school boards, which made them a much more 
political animal than they have been in the past. Yeah, here's a difficult question for you. So education is a voting issue. Do you think we're going to see it in 2022? Well, I think you already see some of the U.S. Senate candidates really latching oh, onto this. True. I know that Jane Timken, one of the Republican candidates, um, I believe a number of other ones, invested both money and time into these school board candidates. Which is wild. Because they see like anti-critical race theory language or, or other, you know, anti-COVID restriction language, perhaps um, drumming up a base, maybe getting voters to the polls. And so anything that they see as driving voters to their particular candidate, I could see certainly becoming an issue going forward. And before we leave our little local races, um, there there was actually a little bit of a referendum on abortion in some of these city council races. Yeah, I thought this was really fascinating. And our colleague down in Cincinnati, Erin Glenn, did some good reporting on it. There were two different cities that passed abortion bans, even though they're not abortion You can't kind of do that. There aren't actually abortion clinics in either of these two cities, but it was a way to kind of, you know, talk about the issue in Mason and Lebanon. And the city councils were up for election this year, and Mason voters expelled two of the band supporters, whereas it went the opposite way in Lebanon. So it's just interesting that the same issue came up, but voters in these two different cities came to different conclusions about whether that was something that they wanted their city to be doing. So one more thing before you all go. Representative Al Catrona wants to give you a break on your next firearm purchase. The Mahoning Valley Republican dropped a bill that would create sales tax exemptions for rifles, pistols, revolvers, and certain kinds of shotguns. He says just like newspapers get a sales tax exemption because they're protected by the First Amendment, guns should get them because they're protected by the Second Amendment. And if you want to learn about any of the topics we covered today, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like cantonrep.com. 